In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Hey. Hey, hey. There were the monkeys. and N. (laughs) (laughs) Um, how are you? I'm doing great. I just saw you. I know. I'm so happy. <laughs> it's been so long. I know long. we hadn't seen each other in a couple weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. That was nice. That was, it was nice. That was my big event of the week, maybe. <laughs> and we got to watch what I think is one of the best Drag Race episodes that they've had in a while. I couldn't agree more. It was not only, like you said, one of the least scripted feeling episodes in a long time, but it also felt like we got conversation about important things and it wasn't mm, yes super super duper forced and yes. like inauthentic like it like it is even when they say it isn't right the, the fact that rue wasn't there doing a tic-tac lunch thing <laughs> and giving fake psychobabble yeah. made it much better yeah yeah it was great well i have a couple of things to talk about so should i get through them and then you can do your two yeah let's let's chit chat Okay, let's do it. Let's go on this journey. So item number one is they have rebooted Gossip Girl, and it's on HBO Max. And I think the first two episodes are out. Have you seen any of it? I have not. I've never seen the original Gossip Girl. (gasps) Oh, okay. Well, then, uh, I don't know. I mean... Is Gossip Girl the type of show to go back and watch? Because a few of my coworkers have recommended it to me. I don't think you should go back and watch it. My bet <laughs> is it really does not hold up in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. So the reboot is okay so far. Mm. I watched the first episode. So the original Gossip Girl premise was like one of the classmates who nobody knows had a blog called Gossip Girl and they spread everybody's rumors on it. And so it was always like, oh, was Matt spotted at Starbucks with a different man? Ooh. XOXO, Gossip Girl. Like, so it was mm-hmm. very that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the new show, the premise is the teachers feel bullied by the privileged students. And so they are bullying them online. And the teachers are Gossip Girl. Ooh, interesting. I think that's a little creepy. To I think me. that's, <laughs> well, I, I wonder what they're going to do with it, is my I, question. See, I, Right, because if it continues to be, because they've worked the teachers in a fair amount, like they've given them really two-dimensional characters, but at least some character. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that they actually just kind of fade the teachers out and Gossip Girl remains this kind of like amorphous entity and it's just about the people's Mm storylines. In the original run of Gossip Girl, did did the viewer know who Gossip Girl was? Not until I think the very last episode. I mean, I'm not even going to... Which they gonna... could have done with this one. Yeah. I was going to say that's so different. So maybe they will. Yeah. You know, maybe this is like a red herring. Maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Item number two is, on your recommendation, I started listening to the second season of To Live and Die in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I, I li- listened to the first season. I liked it. But listening to the second season, I realized there's something about... I, it's Payne Lindsay, right? That's his name? That's not the host of the second... Of, of this show. He's just the creator. This is a different host. Neil Strauss. Neil Strauss. Yes. Okay. So here's my issue. Number one, I'm interested in this story. So I'm, I'm going to keep listening. Mm-hmm. What I don't enjoy is the host. It feels like he... It's too much about him getting attention. Like he's telling too much about himself and not the story. And I don't like that. 
And it feels very, like, every five minutes he's like, and I happen to be friends with Incubus, and you'll never believe, blah, 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 Incubus, Incubus, Incubus. <laughs> and I'm, it, it just feels too self-aggrandizing to me. Hmm. I I hear what you're saying. I do disagree. I think it's a, I think it's balanced appropriately. Okay. Maybe it'll, maybe I'll, my mind will change by the end of it. Uh, yours two episodes in, you said, right? I think I just started the second episode. Okay, because he only talks about Incubus in one episode ever. <laughs> okay, all right. So maybe it was just the first episode was a little off-putting for me. Maybe, because I feel like he's, for me, what he's doing there is trying to position himself into the story in a way that like makes sense to why he's even interested in it and how he kind yeah. of got involved and why he has some of the resources that he ends up having. Yeah. But hey, I don't, I don't know. Hey. Okay, I'm going to skip my third and come back to it because I think it's the best one. But item number four, now item number three. Mm. I want to just reiterate the words that you said to me last night. Good, I can't wait. So listeners, Matt and I were talking about The Real Housewives, as we often do. Mm. And I do not watch The Real Housewives of New Jersey, (laughs) at least the current seasons, recent seasons. (laughs) Unbelievable. And Matt's direct words to me were, I will take this as a personal attack if you do not get current on New Jersey. (laughs) Drama. This is the kind of drama I live for. (sighs) I mean, I guess I'll give it a try. Listen, I'm from New Jersey, okay? Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to be moving back to New Jersey. And so I need to get get acquainted? Yeah, because we watch all the housewives, all the other housewives, really, you're watching. Now. now that you're current on Atlanta. Yes. Um, oh my God, that was so good. Right? Such So worth it. So worth getting through the, the duds to get to this. For sure. Um, 100%. But yeah, if you're not if you're not current on the only franchise, the only city in the franchise, which would happen to be the one that I'm going to live five minutes from where they film... <laughs> that's outrageous and it's one of the best ones it's one of the best ones i can't even you listen if you can manage to get like in the background of one of the filmings uh, during a scene of new jersey i will guaranteed watch it okay i'm gonna make it my mission i mean i i kind of made it my <sighs> secret mission before <laughs> but now it's real but now it's real now now it's not just a thought <laughs> that i'll say is a mission i'll make You're it a real mission. it into the universe yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Well, my third and final item, which is actually now number four, Mm. is I have a podcast recommendation. Oh, okay. And this podcast is one of the best things I've listened to in a long time. Mm. It is called Yo, Is This Racist? And the premise is uh, it's hosted by somebody named Andrew T. T. I. And Tawny Newsome. And essentially what it is, is people call in with questions and leave a voicemail asking kind of like nuanced questions about race or like, is this thing that happened racist or would it be racist if this happened? And they do such a good job of, you know, breaking everything down. They're also like very funny and entertaining. So it's really enjoyable to listen to. And I also feel like I'm learning a lot. And I I thought it was fantastic. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I've already signed up for their Patreon so that I can get their extra episodes and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're doing hard work of talking about racism. So I'm, I want to compensate them for doing that. Nice. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, it's super good. I just started with the most recent episode, which I don't usually do. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but I just, there was a lot of episodes because it's been on for a little while. And I'm sure they do not need my publicity mm-hmm. uh, because I think they're already pretty big. But anybody who isn't listening out there, I I, I think it's almost like core curriculum, f- like listening. Like you really, really should be listening to this. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. I finally got in the balance of listening to podcasts at work down. <laughs> Oh, yay. Finally, finally. So I've been like burning through all these true crime podcasts that work, as you can Mm. probably tell from my recent recommendations. Yay, good. (laughs) And I need to, I'm going to get back up on Hey Riddle Riddle, catch up on Sinisterhood. Sinisterhood is my number one like project to get caught up on. Yeah. Right now. So um, <laughs> I don't think we've gone an episode without talking about Sinisterhood recently. Right. And that's exactly why I need to do it because I used to be really into it with Davey back in the day. And then I just kind of fell off after yeah. like doing our podcasts and getting yeah. too overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of podcasts, the one, one of my random things was that I had mentioned in, I don't know, a few episodes ago, I've been listening to Someone Knows Something. Yes. And I did not like the theme music. Okay. I remember. I do remember that. Okay, I'm in season four of it now. And as of season three on, I've not heard this theme music that I did not like anymore. So they switched it. And I much, much, much prefer what they have now. That's awesome. Yeah, it's way better. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so. So you you recommend it now with no reservations. Yeah, I recommended it before (laughs) with the disclaimer. And now now I just full on recommend it. And is it, tell me the format. Is it like a one story per season? Correct. Is it a episodic? Okay. Yeah, one story okay. per season. And yeah, each season is really unique and different from the other so far. Okay. Yeah, I just think they're all really interesting cases. And you can feel movement on each case with the mm. reporting he does, which I really appreciate. Because as much as I love podcasts like ours, I love right. when the people who are creating the podcast have the actual resources and wherewithal to like communicate with like law enforcement and and investigate and yeah, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I love that. So, well, if we ever make enough money to become full time podcasters, I would be super interested to do that style of oh, podcast are you as well. Kidding me? That if I could, yeah, if I could quit another job and just do this full time, I would absolutely throw myself into something like that. I don't think I could be one of those people who puts themselves in like dangerous <laughs> situations. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. Like I do feel like let's say season three of someone knows something, he's in some dangerous territory. Um mm. and he's with people, but still I would I wouldn't have had the courage yeah. to confront clan members, you know? Yeah, that would be pretty intense. Not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um the other random thing I wanted to say. And I wrote candy down at, to remind <laughs> myself. <laughs> and I got so distracted by the word of it, candy, because one, I love candy, and now I want right. to eat candy. And two, mm. Mandy Moore Candy is one like of your favorite a songs. trademark song in my, my life. <laughs> yes. But I remember what it was. I had okay. this weird thought the other day. I feel like every holiday time or seasonal time has one particular candy that is like polarizing. Oh. And okay. I feel like I like each one. <laughs> So Easter time is Peeps. Oh, I was going to say Cadbury eggs. Oh, I feel like everybody loves those. Okay. I don't know. Peeps are gross. See, I love Peeps. Disgusting. And I know it's like a controversial topic because people are psychotic and somehow think marshmallows aren't good when they're Marshmallows are disgusting. Uh, You're goodbye. (laughs) I can't even believe you. I once had a friend, though, um, say this. My friend back home, she said once that marshmallows are disgusting. And when someone asked her why, she said they're like (laughs) holding... Dusty little soft rocks. 
That's a hundred percent accurate. Uh, that is a hundred percent. Shout accurate. out to Danielle for that one, but I disagree. Now listen, <laughs> I I like a cooked marshmallow, like a, a s'more type or mm-hmm. roasted marshmallow on a fire, mm-hmm. uh, or in cocoa. Those are acceptable. You also like marshmallows and cereal. Ooh, I sure do. <laughs> and so do I. <laughs> By the way, I saw. Oh my god! As if Lucky Charms needed to be more just actual candy i saw that there is now a brand or like a version of lucky charms where they've replaced the oats with like some other kind of candy oh, so no. now it's just like it's like m&ms and marshmallows now or something worse. it is a hundred percent just a box full of candy oh my god you open the you open the box and like all of your blood just starts oh. like rapidly moving faster in your body yes oh god um, i'm excited yeah but i was so the other ones i was thinking of was easter was that um halloween is candy corn mm, which i love or candy corn pumpkins yeah. which are great candy corn pumpkins are superior for sure yes, in every way yeah but candy corn's always like oh people you like it or you hate it what was the other see one? i love i love candy corn pumpkins i hate candy corn uh see i like both but candy corn pumpkins are way better uh, we have also I know for sure talked about this on the podcast or our other podcast before. Have we? We've had a fight about. Oh, we've had a yes, fight about because candy we corn. learned what kind of. <laughs> I remember looking it all up, and it's mellow yes. cream and all that. Yes. Oh, there was one yes. for Christmassy time or winter time that I can't remember what it was now that I had too. Is it like something minty? Because I feel like Christmas is minty. I know that's where my mind is going, but I feel like it's not. Is it the the whacking orange, the orange oh you God. smash and no? But love I love those. those. My grandpa always used to bring those. A ter- my Terry's grandma always orange. had those, yeah. and she he was Irish, so that's probably that makes sense. Oh, cute. Um, I don't remember what it is, but I love all of the controversial candies. Is there a summer candy? There's, no, I don't know what it is. Anyway, I'll I'll think of it. Probably like in yes. the middle of you telling like a really sad story, I'll probably be like. <laughs> Candy corn! (laughs) (laughs) P.S. A few months ago, my aunt brought over a bag of, like, Reese's, Mm -hmm. uh, and they were kind of like the Christmas trees or the eggs at Halloween, or um, Easter, Mm -hmm. and it was Reese's mystery shapes, and when you open them, you fully cannot tell what any of them are, and so I'm convinced (laughs) it's just the rejects, like the defective ones from all the other stuff, and they're like, let's just package them as mystery shapes. That's genius. It's really smart. I, lo- I want them. <laughs> and of course, they were delicious. I didn't care. Well, yeah, the shapes are always better than the cups. A hundred percent. Well, welcome to Rip from the Headlines, the one-stop shop for candy and uh, Real Housewives. <laughs> <laughs> You're Real Housewives. Oh, can, can I tell you something weird that happened to me the other day? Of course. So I was at the grocery store. And you know those machines that they have at the front where you can put in like quarters and get like a little thing in like a bubble? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, like the little toy or like candy. Like a toy machine yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I put in 50 cents, and I got the coolest little thing. Oh, okay. It was a little koala, and when you squeeze it, it says, Rip from the Headlines has a brand new Patreon. <laughs> that's amazing. I'm really glad that that's out there in the candy world. I know. I was like, what luck? Kel surprise. And they said that there's a $1 level a month, mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. just 50 cents more than I paid on this little koala, may I add. <laughs> Right. Where you could just subscribe to the Patreon and support our podcast. Just love us. For a dollar. <laughs> yeah. You could find that much in loose change. So why not support our podcast with it? Just throw it at us. Yeah. In the street. Hit us with some quarters. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a $5 level where you can get an awesome ripped from the headlines sticker designed by N. 
and you get access to our video Fashion Court episodes. And finally, at our most elite tier, you can get all of these things, plus 10% off anything in our merch store. And you get access to bonus full-length Ripped from the Headlines episodes where we're covering Law & Order SVU episodes. Our last one covered the Boston Strangler. Yes, the Boston Strangler. Yeah, you got to check that one out. Yeah, it was a good episode. Yeah, and check out the check out your grocery stores because at the front, evidently, in some of these bubbles, you can get really, really important information like that. Yeah, friendly reminders from your neighborhood koala candy. Mm-hmm. Well, should we get into the episode? Yeah, I'm ready. Are you? I am. Okay. You're the recapper, so take it away. Take me away. You don't remember that song? We've discussed I this don't. in our other podcast. Oh, okay. Fifi, Fifi Dobson. So... It is season two, episode 20 of Law and & Order, and right from the headlines, this is called Intolerance. What's the deep meaning there? You know, I make fun of them when they choose something kind of like kitschy, but then I also make fun of them when they just pick a sort of like word that evokes the emotion of the episode. Exactly. I don't want it to be something... I would rather make fun of them for the the previous the former of those because yes it this it's more fun it's more fun this makes me feel like they went to like pier one and went and grabbed like one of those um oh, one of those rocks yeah with a word inspirational word exactly on it. they just grabbed a, like the whole basket of rocks and brought it home and then each oh my God. week they like just do one of those imagine they sold those a rock that's an I was just gonna say we should absolutely start a merch store with like hateful rocks <gasps> hateful rock statements genius uh copywritten <laughs> copywritten can't copy yeah. me trademark we begin the episode with three young people walking down a city street and suddenly a car stops short in the middle of the street to chat with one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no no traffic on a New York City street. Able to just do it. Easy. <laughs> the man who leans out of his window, he looks like like oh. the entire decade of 1970s just threw up on his head. I was going to say his fashion is exactly like the party planner that Lisa Vanderpump oh. always hires. Oh my god. <laughs> she she. Yeah, she, she, that guy. I felt like I felt like he was from like a 1970s like cop drama. Like I felt like he was gonna shoot like a Technicolor kapow out of his hand or something. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, he shouts something in uh, Chinese to one of them on the street, yes. and one of them is Chinese, so he understands and responds. I think the girl of the trio kind of insinuates that they are barbarians, or she's translating what they had said to mean that they are calling them barbarians it was kind of unclear to me yeah there's some a lot of not great things in this episode oh my god they the the list the scroll yes. could just unroll yes it's yeah the whole thing was kind of weird and so the three of them two of them are like white teenagers and one is chinese and it's relevant because she immediately is off on a tangent about how his family um doesn't accept her because she's white right. and how he won't he won't introduce her to his family and right because they're dating because they're dating right and she's like introduce me to your mother right now and then like storm was <laughs> away mad and yeah i was like oh my god and then the guy the other guy not not the boyfriend but i guess the, the third wheel buddy he's like nice job buddy and walks away <laughs> and i was like am i in an alternate universe Break up with that person immediately. Are you kidding me? I would... 
like you are dating somebody and you know it's a point of contention with him, obviously, that he's dealing with this kind of thing and you're gonna, that's how you confront it. Right. <laughs> Ultimatums. Always healthy in a relationship. When we were watching it, Davey was like, that's like if I told you, uh, if you don't bring me to like your dad's church tomorrow, <laughs> we're breaking right. up. It's crazy. It's- yeah, yeah, unreasonable. Ridiculous. And I was like, wow, I was still unsure if these people were actual characters in the plot of the episode or if they were just going to lead to like some sort of discovery, you know? Yes, <laughs> so yes, yes, yes. Tim, he's the Chinese man. He gets left behind by the other two because they ran off, remember? And his girlfriend, who we learn her name is Kate, she is literally, I think, a Molly Ringwald lookalike. Yes. Like, straight out of Molly Ringwald drama. Sometimes when I'd watch scenes of her, I wasn't sure if I was watching Law & Order or if I was watching, <laughs> or like... Or 16 Candles. <laughs> exactly. Pretty in Pink. One of those things. So so the two friends are kind of arguing, Kate and this, this other guy, who we don't know his name yet, and they're kind of arguing, like, oh, you know, we shouldn't have argued with him or something, and then we hear gunshots from behind. So they rush mm-hmm. back around the corner to see what all the commotion is about, and they see that Tim has been shot. And he's laying on the ground with the worst costume blood I've ever seen in my life dripping from his mouth. Yeah. You know what's funny is, I don't know, but I'm assuming not all gunshot wounds lead to blood coming out of your mouth. Right. But it feels like a very common choice that they make. Yeah. At first I was like, would, I was like, would blood be coming out of his mouth? But either way, it literally looks like he just got messy with like some fries. It's like the worst (laughs) job ever. It's like four thin little lines. Yes. So our detectives arrive on the scene and the kid seems like an upstanding guy, the the victim. There's no trouble in his past. He seems, you know, honest. He's got good grades. And then Kate, we learn, is feeling responsible for this. And she makes some sort of melodramatic line before she gets into a car. And then her friend, who I, we don't learn his name yet, but he looks like a human being version of a Doug funny cartoon character. He does. You're right. And then they dress him like it too. Yeah. He's dressed in these very like a, a cardigan vest mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's got very Doug, Doug hair and head. It's like perfect yes. shape. So this Doug funny like character, he goes, you don't think things like this happen to people like us. And then he gets in the car and I was like, what exactly happened to them? Right. Because I thought it was their friend who got shot. <laughs> Their right. friend who they just dissed and, and ran away from. But, yeah. hey. Then we get the opening sequence, and I realized I had some time on my hands. So mm-hmm. I did something appropriate, and I did a walkthrough of our apartment for our landlords, for some potential oh. buyers. You know, just walk through. <laughs> and after we finished, I was back for the little Dick Wolf shout-out. And, um, by the way, listeners, that's literally something my landlord wanted me to be doing right now. <laughs> In the yeah. middle of recording. <sighs> outrageous and we're back so we're in the station and kate is in tears she's with who i believe are both of her parents at this point they don't know who the guys from the car they saw before were um they don't know anything about what happened tim wasn't involved in drugs and you know they they can't imagine what could have happened and the dad guy who i think is kate's dad i wasn't sure if he was kate's dad or the other guy's dad but it was kate's dad right I think so, yeah. yeah. He just has something in that, in effect, he might as well have just been like, I'm a racist. And then yeah. everyone was like, hmm, interesting. And then we move <laughs> on to the next scene where we get some more racist rhetoric from Soretta. 
Yep. And then Logan is like, Logan, for once, is the voice of reason. And is like, what the fuck is going on here? So they decide this is the perfect time to go ask the victim of this violent crimes family to ask if he had a gun. Mm -hmm. So they go down to the family in mourning and they say, you know, hey, did did you know anything about Tim's involvement with maybe having a firearm? And the older sister is very adamant that he was not in a gang and that their mother would have known she was very involved with their lives. And mm-hmm. every time they answer a question that doesn't give them a answer that they wanted to hear, the detectives just say something like, well, maybe you just didn't know. Eh, yeah. Well, maybe you di- you weren't aware. Like, right. if they had said what you wanted them to hear, it would have been like crack in the case. Right. Mm, right. Then they search his room a little bit, and he appears to be a typical even maybe above average 17-year-old from the looks of it. Mm-hmm. And then Serena finds a receipt for a plastic surgeon lying around. You know, like you have. Like you do. Right. First of all, it's the size of like a diner receipt, tiny little thing. <laughs> and secondly, if this was some secretive thing that he didn't want people to know about, why did he even have a receipt at all? Good questions. Pathetic. Be a little bit more creative. <laughs> evidently the receipt was for a removal of a tattoo which we learned was for a tiger tattoo he had <laughs> and this would likely affiliate him with a gang called the white tigers that sounds like uh yeah. the blue barracudas i was just gonna say the minute they said that on the tv i was like are they in legends of the hidden temple choose wisely <laughs> <laughs> wait were the white tigers actually a group no legends no of the hidden temple? okay <laughs> i imagine so they just so happen to know a guy who is like Intel in in the White Tigers, and we meet him in the next scene, which I was very happy t- to to be a part of because he was very hot. Mm. I was like, ooh, I was even into the little, I was like forgiving and into the weird '90s mullet he had going on because he was very hot. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 he was hot. Yeah. You're right. So um, he says, "Yeah, Tim, I know him. He was in this gang for like literally a hot second. And, you know, we don't have any issues with him. We don't fight our ex-members, and no one would have wanted to hurt him. So, essentially, it seems like a dead end. But I'm still glad we went on that mission, because we got to meet this guy. (laughs) Yes. Furthermore, ballistics comes back, and it seems that the gunshot wounds and the bullets don't match any other gang-related crime. So, they decide to talk to Kate again, but this time without her mom, even though... Like, anything she would say on her own would be inadmissible. They still think it's a better mission to go on. Yeah. So we cut to a scene where you're in a 90s high school Molly Ringwald sitcom. (laughs) She's in her (laughs) class. She's in the hallway going to her locker, (laughs) just having a day at school. Mm -hmm. Worst day ever, though, because the cops show up. It is so special episode of, like, so after school special. After school special. Oh, I love it. So... She says, listen, I, you know, he, there's no fights about race in this school, really. The worst thing that's ever happened is maybe graffiti, um, you know, and she says she's been called an egg. That's a new one. Okay. I've never even heard that before, but that felt like, do, does anyone say that? I don't I, think anyone says that. I don't think anyone says that. An egg. Goodbye. Yeah, I mean, I'm on Urban Dictionary, and I do not see anything about it. But on the episode, to be clear, they were saying egg is a reference to her being white on the outside and yellow on the inside, because she was supposedly, like, super into her 
boyfriend or, right. or his culture. I don't know. It was fucking weird the way they did it. Yeah, that. and it was a weird, it was so misplaced. And it had nothing to do with the story. Nothing. It was so strange. So yeah. she says, you know, go talk to his physics teacher. You know, he was also part of like training them for this like statewide science fair. And so they talk to him and he says that Tim was super bright and that he was probably like slated to win that science fair. And mm-hmm. that would be a $20,000 prize, like scholarship. He wanted to go to MIT. $20,000 you know? for school. $20,000. <laughs> <laughs> so they ask if there were any other candidates to win this. And he sheepish, sheepishly mentions Carl. And Carl is that guy who we've seen earlier, the Doug Funny character looking guy. Keep saying Doug right, Funny. Third, I mean Doug. The third guy of the trio. Yeah, yeah. So Carl is always it seems his number two so he's always coming in second place to tim on things and they find out that there was friction also between the boys' families because every time that tim, tim would win something it seemed that carl's mother would get up in arms and um they find out shortly after the words that carl's mother was calling tim's family and saying things like uh that you guys aren't real americans and tim doesn't deserve to be beating carl at different things Yikes. Yikes. They go to talk to Carl's mother, and it is Kelly Bishop who plays Emily Gilmore on The Gilmore Girls. What is so funny about that is I sat there watching her for like a solid 10 minutes or something, and I was like, wow, it's so weird that they found an actress who looks so much like Kelly Bishop. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Turns out it was Kelly Bishop. I was like, uh, oh my god! Instantly, I was like, oh my god! I know who that is. Yeah, I love that yes. actress, but not not this character. No, she is very Emily Gilmore a little bit. Like she very much is. Yeah, like you know, a lot more racist than Emily Gilmore, but very <laughs> much. Um, um, maybe not I much more. <laughs> and she says that. Yeah, I made a few phone calls, but, you know, my behavior was a little inconsiderate at best. And all of this is ridiculous if you think I have anything to do with this or my family. She says, I was working at the restaurant, and my older son picked me up around the time of the crime, so it couldn't have been me. And she says, listen, this hasn't been easy on any of us. What? What have you gone through? Yeah, again, right, right. exactly. Especially if you're not involved. So they talk to her elder son, and he says that he dropped his mom off, like she said, and then he went to go play basketball. And he doesn't know anything, and he talked to his mom just a little bit before that, and he knows what they think she did, or that he did, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, great, thanks. And they leave, and they're like, okay, well, she called him and tipped him off, so something's, something's up. The detectives are unable to get a search warrant for anything, and so they try to investigate the alibis instead. They talked to this bookkeeper lady at the restaurant. <laughs> and did you see who she was? The bookkeeper lady. This is the um, best thing. Oh, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was George Costanza's mom. Yes, it's Estelle Harris, who plays George's mom on Seinfeld. And last week we had George's dad. What a weird coincidence. I know. And I looked it up and Seinfeld began in 1989. So it could have it been planned. It's also an Maybe. NBC show, I think, at the time. Interesting. So huh. weird though, right? Very weird. It was still fun. I liked it. Planned or not, it's still fun. So she doesn't have much evidence to propose um, or to present to them, but she actually does help them quite a bit because she's able to show them that Emily Gilmore's character, I think her name is, um, <laughs> what is it? Marion. We can just call her Emily Gilmore. I might just call her Emily Gilmore. <laughs> 
we find out that Emily Gilmore lied about what time she left. She had said she left at 3.30. She actually left at 2.30. They decide to check Randy's alibi. But when they go to their gym, they like meet somebody there. And they also see like a sign-in sheet that shows that he was playing basketball by 4 p.m. So they're like, okay, let's, let's figure out what to do. And they decide to go back to the station and commiserate. And then they get this magical phone call. Everyone jumps up in surprise, and it's a anonymous <laughs> tip about a gun at Carl's house. And they say, well, this is enough probable cause to get a search warrant. I think you, you forgot to describe the fact that when uh, Logan was looking for his tape recorder, he literally turned into the Tasmanian <laughs> devil and just like picked up everything he could find and threw it in the air trying to get to a tape recorder. <laughs> That is the perfect description. It was so manic. The phone rang yes. and they reacted so like jarringly that I jumped up a little bit. Like not even lying. Yes. I was like <gasps> Wild. He gets to the phone and then like, you know, Soretta gets the other phone up. It's like this big huge moment. But it's really nothing. It's just someone saying that there's a gun at the house. Right. Either way, they're like, okay, we're gonna get the warrant. Yes. They go to the house and they perform the search with Carl and his big pleated pants standing very close by. <laughs> and they find the gun in some sort of china cabinet. So they know that it's obviously been hidden on purpose. Unless that's where you mm-hmm. keep your guns. In the salad bowl. In a soup tureen. Exactly. A soup tureen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Only you would know that word. Soup tureen. When, when I was a kid, I had a really bad habit of leaving dishes in my bedroom mm. And my dad always had this litany of like, bring all the dishes out of your bedroom, all the cups, all the plates, all the soup tureens. And it was, there was always a soup tureen involved. I thought you were going to say when I was a kid, I had a really bad habit of leaving guns in soup tureens. (laughs) (laughs) That too. So they got the ballistics expert who, if we remember, is literally like a Dr. Quinn medicine woman, but in a police station. Okay, wait, I have to say something about her, which is in previous episodes, I've thought she was kind of like fine, kind of non-noticeable. This episode, she is horrendously bad acting. <laughs> She's been ramping it up for, ep- I don't know if you've noticed, but it's been a slow, steady build every time we see her to a more <laughs> prominent character role. Like, yes. I would theorize that this actress decided, listen, I'm a recurring character just like Dr. Olivet. And I mm-hmm. am going to have a character, and I'm going to force it in there. I think it's all off the cuff on the spot. <laughs> yes, and it's not good. It is not good. It's a choice. Choices. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, listen, this is a perfect match, and she's a little too excited about it. Yes. <laughs> the prints on the gun are Ronald's, and Ronald is the dad who we've never heard about until this moment. It is the the fourth member of this family of four. So Ronald and Emily Gilmore, <laughs> they're two boys. And evidently each uh, parent has a favorite kid. This mm-hmm. is a whole mess. So yeah. he swears when they talk to him that he didn't do anything and seems sincere. But later Robinette and Stone meet and they try to figure out what are we going to do next? Because this is a mess. Stone doesn't like that the, the best chance on the table right now is to offer a deal to the dad without having like an actual you know investigation into what happened you know Mm because there is a victim of a violent crime here robinette is back on the set of that molly ringwald 90s high school drama in the locker rooms and all that again and Mm -hmm. he is now uh 
he's having a melodramatic scene where he's quizzing Carl in a classroom and they're not making like direct eye contact. It's a very mm-hmm. like music video. And he says, they don't know what they're talking about. His dad's innocent. Leave us alone. And then next, Emily Gilmore is storming into the DA's office and she's furious. How dare you confront my son at school? Mm-hmm. And it's clear she's far more concerned with her son's education and studies than her you know, husband's pending sentencing. Right. And they think, okay, this family's really, really nuts. And Schiff <laughs> is like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go to <laughs> trial with this. And Stone, as usual, wants to go and as usual wins, even though Schiff is his boss. <laughs> yeah. So Randy and Emily Gilmore, I'll never call her anything else. They are brought to the pretrial hearing, they're held on bail, and the defense tries for a deal, but Stone is like, no dice. So the defense attorney says that, I'm going to have the gun withheld. You're not going to get that into evidence if you go to trial, because that's a pretty weak way to get it in. And Stone is like, yeah, you know, Stone is just, well, I'm going to go to turn. watch me try. So the judge ends up siding with the defense, and Stone is really pissed, because the gun is suppressed. In court, they do have some evidence. So they have evidence that Randy wanted his buddy at the gym to make his alibi more believable and had him lie Mm -hmm. for him. And they're able to present this, like, um, sign-in sheet where, um, (laughs) this is just hilarious to me, that this was evidence that they had to treat this way. So this is the big crack in the case, everybody. This is the big forensic moment. Yep. There's a sign-in sheet at the gym and um, Randy is saying that he got there at four, but he actually lied. He was there a way different time earlier in the day or whatever. And um, when they look at the sign-in sheet, we don't see it until this moment physically. But they're like, oh, okay, yeah, it says he was there at four. Then they blow it up in the courtroom so we can see it as an audience. <laughs> and they say that they had this, like, what did they say? Infrared. They had infrared technology put upon it to see what had happened. Yeah, this has been enlarged and infrared scanned or something yeah. like that. And they say that's ha- zoom, zoom and enhance. <laughs> <laughs> and they say that, um, yeah, you could tell that it was changed. Okay, folks, it's literally pencil that was erased and written over, and you could see the eraser marks. Right. You could see the full word underneath the other word. There's no infrared yes. technology. If, no, you could see that with your eyeballs. I don't know how Serena and and they didn't see and uh, Logan didn't see that when they were at the gym holding it in their hands. It's mm. pencil erased. This is the big technology moment. I was I was blown <laughs> away. Wow, and I'm sure the audience, the audience, the jury was like mouth agape. So they also have evidence um, to show that the gun used to kill Tim matches the gun registered to Carl's father, since they can't admit the gun into evidence. Right. And that's really all they have. So the case is full of reasonable doubt. And in the DH chambers next, they come up with a little strategy. They're like, well, let's try to give the kid a better deal than the mom in front of the dad. Because we think that this is the dad's favorite kid. And the dad's going <laughs> to want to advocate for the kid. And then I think that I was kind of unclear, but I thought that the plan was that he was going to encourage the mom to take the deal. Yes, and that, they, they thought that the son and the father together would encourage the mom to take the deal. Yeah, and they figured, like, the mom was the the bigger factor than the kid. The kid fa- carried out the mom's demands, so they were okay with giving him less time. 
So they give it a shot, and it totally backfires. She's pissed off. <laughs> She's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to jail. Um, and she Classic Emily Gilmore. Emily Gilmore's not putting up with that. She won't be told what to Never. do. So she storms <laughs> right the hell out of there. So back in court, on the stand, we have Tim's sister finally testifying. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but she was a really good actress, I feel like. She was really good, actually. And she was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, she looked up, but she was famous. She um, She testifies that there were phone calls to the house all the time, at least nine or ten, and there's tons of racist slander and threats that she shares that were thrown at her family. Mm-hmm. So the defense gets their turn to talk to her, and they have her, you know, testifying that Tim was briefly a member of the White Tigers. So it doesn't look good, and things are looking darker when suddenly a ray of light named Kate and her mom show up, and she has something to say. Mm-hmm. And her mom brings her in, coddling her like she's a five and a half year old, which has been weird <laughs> through the whole episode. But hey, mm-hmm. I do have to remember: a) these are very rich people, and b) this is a Molly Ringwald '90s TV show drama running side by side with Law and Order crossover event. Yes. So yes. she says that just for a second after the shooting, she saw Marion and Rand- uh, <laughs> Emily Gilmore and Randy in the truck driving away and she knows it was them because it was the family business's truck and mm-hmm. she saw the vanity plate that said fish hook <laughs> <laughs> and they go back into court and she testifies exactly what she just said that she saw this and then this is you know really where the molly ringwald and law and order episode connect and conclude like this jury moment mm-hmm. the jury comes back guilty for both randy and marion which i was very surprised about Emily Gilmore. Oh, yes. Emily Gilmore. (laughs) Sorry. I used her proper name. (laughs) Next up, Soretta and Logan bring the news release about the trial to Stone, and it proves, based on what she testified to, that Kate was lying, because the license plate she claimed to have seen does not exist on the back of the car. She would have had to be- Front of the car. Oh, yeah. She saw the car coming towards her, right? Right. She said she saw the car coming toward her. She saw Emily Gilmore and the son in it. And she said she saw the license plate. But right. what actually happened was she was around the corner and never saw the car. Right. right. So it was a big lie, which we all knew from the beginning because we saw the whole thing happen. Right. But unfortunately, this means that the case is deemed a mistrial and both defendants are released. And there's a mention of a similar case on the news um, of something happening in California involving a tennis situation yeah, tennis story which i yeah. was like i wonder if this is going to be end story <laughs> and then <laughs> schiff says i think that i liked it better when the criminals did the killing and stone says the whole world's gone mad and that's the end i mean uh, that line was so stupid to me because i was like anyone who kills somebody is, is then a criminal. criminal right yeah the criminals <laughs> are cr- I mean, I guess there's extenuating circumstances, but it, it was just so it didn't, weirdly yeah. not accurate to the world. I don't. And know. it, it didn't strange. do anything. It wasn't impactful for an end of the episode no. moment either. The whole no. world's gone mad. Yeah. Well, great job. Thanks a bunch. Would you like to hear the story upon which this episode was based? Would I ever? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well... This case is based on the story of Wanda Holloway. Mm. Do you know that name? Um, it sounds like Prue Halliwell. <laughs> <laughs> no. We found a way to mention Charmed. <laughs> Not even the right podcast. <laughs> I know, right? We On our other podcast, somehow, invariably, we always mention Charmed. I don't know how we don't do it on this one, too, to be honest. 
Well, maybe this is the, uh, <laughs> the gradual uh, introduction. This is the crossover that. event. <laughs> crossover episode. <laughs> All right. So Wanda Webb Holloway was born in 1954 in a city called Channel View, Texas, which is just outside of Houston, from what I can tell, maybe like half an hour or so. So kind of a, a little bit outside of a big town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only has a current, currently, population of about 38,000. So it's not a huge city, but it's also, you know, not like a town where every single person knows every single person. Right, right. One article that I read describes it as, quote, mostly white, resolutely working class. It was even, as late as the 70s, a Ku Klux Klan stronghold. Uh, yeah. Yikes. And... What's weird is they say that, and then the next line in one of the, in that same article is, but the residents are described as unfailingly polite. And I was like, so, uh, I guess unless you're a person of color. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> those two things don't go along. Yeah, yeah. One of, the, a lot of my information came from a Texas Monthly article that was kind of a long journalistic telling of this story. Um, so I'm going to quote that a few times because I think it gave the most kind of like detail to the story. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in that article, the writer describes Channel View, and it doesn't sound like the greatest town in the world from the way that they describe mm-hmm. it. If we have any listeners from Channel View, I'm not shitting on your town. <laughs> so that writer says that the that Channel View has brutal winters that can, quote, bring menace and breed hopelessness, two qualities with which Wanda Holloway, who had spent most of her life here, was more than well acquainted. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. So... Wanda's father, when she was born, worked at the nearby concrete plant, and her mother worked in the high school cafeteria. And so by all accounts, her upbringings were pretty humble. And a couple of the articles that I read mentioned that the area that she lived in, in Channel View, wasn't necessarily like the nice part of Channel View. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Uh, When she was growing up, Wanda was known as an overachiever. She took piano lessons, she took business courses that she excelled in, and she really wanted everyone to like her. That was a big thing for her. But that acceptance, that that sort of... um, People-pleasing, affirmation-seeking. Thank you, yes. It always kind of eluded her based on the articles that I read, so... Mm. Uh, They talk about how she desperately wanted to try out for the cheer team, but her father was really, really conservative, and he forbade it, saying saying that the outfits were, quote, too skimpy and whorish. When she was 18 years old, she married a man named Tony Harper. And again, as I mentioned, she was taking business courses and was kind of looking to get into business. But when she got married, uh, Tony didn't want her to have to work. He just wanted her to start having children. So that's what they did. Tony's family was not wealthy, but it was a little bit wealthier than Wanda's family because they owned a couple of local gas stations, and Tony's mom also owned a lingerie store called Peggy's Cameo Boutique. Ooh, I wonder if... (laughs) It just reminded me of the blouse barn from Uh, Schitt's Creek. I'm just imagining Posh (laughs) from New Jersey. (laughs) So in 1973, Wanda and Tony had their first child named Shane, and four years later, they had their daughter, Shanna. And both of them were kind of named after the main character in a a Western at the time, Shane, who they, I think, one of the articles kind of talked about how Wanda admired that character because he was like a loner, but he was a hero. And I think she kind of resonated with that because it sounds like she kind of felt like she wasn't, didn't really fit in Mm -hmm. some of the time. Okay. Okay. So, so she named her kids Shane and Shanna. Okay. 
Imagine, imagine that. I have a hard enough time with my dog's names, and they are very different names. But if you named them Shane and Shanna, I feel like the wrong name would come, in, come out of your mouth constantly. I just think it shows a lack of creativity. Also that. You know, you know I like, for instance, I like coffee. I don't need like a coffee house. Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't need to move into a big mug. <laughs> exactly. I don't need to name my first child Java. Espresso. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony and Wanda's relationship did not last. And in 1980, they got divorced and engaged in a custody battle over their children. Mm, worst. Yeah. Wanda was petite. She was very pretty. She had dark hair and she worked as a secretary and also played piano at church. And the articles that kind of talked more about her adult life kind of describe her as sort of like a lovely person, like just, you know, well-rounded, nice, polite, etc. The principal of Shauna's high school or uh, junior high school described Wanda as, quote, very refined, spoke good English and was beautifully attired. Oh. Because Wanda Wanda apparently dressed really well, which people would like comment on. But interestingly, in the Texas Monthly article, they sort of talk about how in channel view that wasn't necessarily said in a complimentary way because they basically said that a lot of people describe her that way and talk about how she dressed really fancy because she like thought really highly of oh, herself like, and like, like kind like of showy. wanted to be like above everyone. Yeah. yeah. So a resident in the Texas Monthly article stated, quote, people with our backgrounds typically do not have the money to dress like that. Or if we do, we don't because it's not that important. You would never see Wanda outside outside bathing a German shepherd or digging in the dirt. So sounds like, you know, she was thought of as polite, but also kind of a little maybe prissy, prissy snooty, something yeah, like that. That's annoying to like, who cares? Whatever. Honestly. Who cares? Another person stated that Wanda had, quote, a very bad craving for money and loved to dress the part, and she was always wanting this and wanting that. So here's the thing. All of this could be that Wanda was, like, a really prideful person, or it could just be, like, jealousy from other residents because, you know, ambitious women are often kind of maligned and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, torn down. Yeah. Wanda married twice more. Uh, Both of them were wealthy men, and the second seems to have stuck. They stayed married for a a while. They might actually still be married. I I would have to look that up. Wanda finally had some of the more material things that she wanted, um, and kind of apparently talked about leaving Channel View for a a more upscale city, but they did stick around. So her daughter, Shauna, was enrolled as a junior high school student at Alice Johnson Junior High School. And Wanda at the time was 37 years old, And as I mentioned, she had always dreamed of being a cheerleader herself, but her dad forbade it. She was never able able to fulfill that dream. So she really wanted Shauna to be a cheerleader. Oh, Shauna. I'm probably going to go back and forth in pronunciations. This is like just taking me down the route of all of those cheerleader (laughs) made-for-TV movies. Like, but I'm a cheerleader and the cheerleader killing squad and all these things. Yeah. So by some of the accounts that I read in the articles, cheerleading was sort of seen in Channel View as a way to sort of get notoriety or prestige. Like it was a way to kind of advance your social status. If you were a cheer family or a cheerleader, like it was kind of one of the things people did in Channel View that was admired. Yeah, even where I'm from originally, that's kind of like a thing. Like cheer Mm -hmm. competitions are a big thing in our area. Yeah. And just becoming a cheerleader... And like yeah. getting a cheerleading scholarship, it's incredibly competitive. 
For sure. And those women are athletes. That is oh not easy God. to do. I know a girl who, who did this for years and years and years. Her name is Tiffany. Mm-hmm. And she's doing something else now. But, like, she is an athlete for life now. Like, the things yeah. that that girl can do, when I see, like, the the athleticism that she... And I knew her when she was, like, a teenager working at Starbucks with me. Mm-hmm. And I thought she was, like, this sweet little thing. And then I would see the videos of the things that she would do insane astonishing even her training at like the gym i was like i could never do that (laughs) i could never do that yeah so connected to this story so we've got wanda and shanna and also in channel view we have a woman named verna uh verna heath and her daughter amber so there seems to have been a bit of a a rivalry between shanna uh no sorry (laughs) between wanda and verna Hmm. maybe it was only in Wanda's head because we don't, I don't, none of the articles really talked about Verna competing with Wanda or vice versa, but they were connected to the story. And some of the articles that I read, like describe um, Amber and her mother, Verna as like winners and Wanda and and her daughter, Shanna were also were described as like, quote, also rans, like they competed, but they didn't win Hmm. basically. But again, Um, I will say that they're both accomplished young women and pitting pitting them against each other is toxic. Terrible. So Verna herself was the daughter of a twirling teacher and she, Verna, was a twirling champion uh, as were two of her sisters. So she kind of comes from sort of like a legacy of cheer-related success, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Verna and Wanda both enrolled their daughters, Shauna and Amber, in the same gymnastics studio where they were learning from teachers certified by the National Cheerleading Association. They also took tumbling and gymnastics. The whole time I'm reading all these articles, by the way, I'm just picturing dance moms. Oh like my it just God. feels very that. Yes, I was thinking dance moms from the moment you started talking about this whole thing. <laughs> And here is why, because this is a quote from one of the articles, and, and it's describing the parents in Channel View. So it says, quote, they shell out $36 an hour for private lessons and then coach the coach, politic the school sponsors, demand that the newspaper run their daughter's cheerleading pictures, and even sometimes float nasty rumors about the competition. Last year, there was a bomb threat at the cheerleader tryouts at Alice Johnson Junior High, though it has not been tied to this case. So some pretty hmm. intense focus on cheer in Channel View at the time. That also was very um, drafted gorgeous. Very. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And just to give you a sense of how into it Wanda was, and perhaps what I might say based solely on descriptions is not necessarily indicative of the most healthy relationship with her daughter, Shanna. She would buy her and Shanna matching outfits, including cheerleading uniforms. She's 37, never been a cheerleader. <laughs> Doesn't is... scream great decision to me. I'm, that is really bizarre. Yeah. So Amber and Shauna, both in junior high, try out for the cheerleading team. There were two spots on the team and three girls who were trying out for it. Amber, another girl, and Shauna. Amber and the other girl made the cut. Shanna did not. Uh, I think I remember this now. Something that I don't quite understand is there appears to be a voting system that involves locals. Like maybe people come and watch the tryouts and then a lot of people vote for who they think should be on the team. It was weird. I didn't get it, but there's voting involved somehow. And it it involves like campaigning and stuff. Is it like a regional team? 
I was no, like, it was high the high school. or junior high school team. You got a grip. Yeah, I don't understand. Go judge a pie eating contest instead. <laughs> so Wanda was really pissed because Verna at that tryout had been kind of campaigning for Amber trying to get her voted onto the team. She gave people flyers with uh, with Amber's picture on them and, and like candy taped to it. So she, Wanda was really upset because she thinks like Verna was stacking the odds in her daughter Amber's favor. And when Shauna didn't get on the team, this was a pretty big blow to Wanda. Apparently she like talked about getting a lawyer because she didn't think it was fair. She talked to people in town, at, like calling Amber an outsider and like, why would people vote for an outsider? And even got her husband to petition the school district to change future rules so that there was like residency requirements in order to compete on a team. Because Amber and Verna lived in like a different area of Channel View. And so it was kind of like she was going to this junior high, but they weren't, they were seen as like outsiders by Wanda. I don't know. Strange. Oh my God. This is like so extreme. It's very extreme. So an administrator at the school stated that Wanda, quote, felt so helpless. She was so desperate and she felt that her child had been cheated. So that was year one um, of them kind of going into junior high. Shauna didn't make the team. When she didn't make the team, Wanda began making plans for next year's tryouts. And she kind of like spent the whole year concocting a plan and decided that she and her husband were going to buy some pencils and rulers with vote for vote Shanna Harper for cheerleader inscribed on them and like hand them out to the kids. And apparently, as I said, Channel View is not the most affluent area. And so one of the reports said that it was a good like item choice because not all of the skid, the kids in the area could afford rulers or pencils. So it was kind of like a, a generous thing and also a campaigning thing. Mm-hmm. Wise. But when they arrived at the school to start handing them out, Wanda was prevented from doing so and was told that the handouts did not comply with the election code. Hmm. Because I guess it was like a material thing as opposed to like a piece of candy. Yeah. Okay. So Wanda, being very, very invested, decided to ignore this and handed them out anyway. (sighs) Which resulted in a meeting being called at the school where they discussed what was and wasn't permitted as part of campaigns and told Wanda that she had broken the rules and Shauna was disqualified from trying out for the team that year. So this, as you can imagine, did not go over well with Wanda. Shortly after, Shauna told her mom, like, I don't want to be a cheerleader anymore. (sighs) But her mother didn't want to hear that, so... She's now in eighth grade, and they're kind of setting their sights on Channel View High School, where Amber and Shauna are both supposed to go next year. And they're trying to figure out how to get Shanna on the high school cheerleading team. Mm-hmm. And Wanda even got a job at the high school. I mentioned that she was a secretary, I think. And kind of like would schmooze with the administrators to try to learn anything she could about upping Shauna's chances of making it onto the high school cheer team. This is the kind of thing that happens in like a fun, cute episode of like a sitcom. You go undercover, you get a job at the school to try to figure yes. out how to like pal around with the teachers and you're hiding in the yes. in the closet with a mustache. <laughs> this is this is how that story should go. It, right. If it were Disney Channel, it would be goofy, you know, sitcom-y fun. It doesn't sound like a real thing that people really do in real life. Like, I cannot <laughs> believe she went covert and got a job, even if it was volunteer, at the high school ahead yeah. of time to get yeah. intel on 
I, how to get her into the squad. It's just, just yes. She also would inquire with people if there was anything that somebody could do, for example, to disqualify another competitor, Amber, for example, from competing. <laughs> so it's at this point that Wanda kind of concocts this plan to get her daughter on the cheerleading squad. And what she does is she calls her ex-brother-in-law, because again, her and her husband Tony are divorced, so she calls her ex-brother-in-law Terry Harper, who was kind of known in Channel View for being like a little rough around the edges. He had a bit of a criminal record, uh, but for things like misdemeanors and drunk driving. Uh Uh-huh. So in the fall of 1990, she drives up to Terry Harper's house and honks the horn and tells him, I need to talk to you, but not here at home. So they go to meet each other at a local convenience store called Bose. Or it's possible they might have ridden in the same car. I'm not 100% clear on that. Okay. But they, they're parked at Bose and they have a conversation. And Shauna kind of asks Terry, like, how much do you love your niece? How much does Shauna matter to you? And Terry's like, I love her. Like, I love her with my life. And Wanda says, good. And then told him that she needs p- two people, quote, taken care of and didn't know how to go about hiring a hitman and asked for his help. Yikes. Terry responded, I don't do anything like that, and I don't know anyone who would kill a child. And so they part ways, and Terry heard nothing about it from Wanda for a few months. Until he runs into Shauna around town, and Shauna says, Oh, Uncle Terry, my mom wants you to call her. So he calls Wanda, and I think this is like right around the new year. He calls Wanda, thinking that she was going to say something like, I don't know what I was thinking. Forget I said anything. I was just, you know, being dramatic, etc. Mm-hmm. But instead, what she does is double down on her request and tells Terry, quote, if he wouldn't do it, he needed to find someone who would. Terry reportedly said that uh, he replied, like, why not just let Shauna try out for the team? And if she gets on, she gets on. And if she doesn't, she doesn't. You know, like... Most people like would do. Like everyone else. Right. Wanda replied to that, quote, No, she'll be too devastated and never try out again. Terry, after getting this phone call, realizes Wanda's not kidding. And so he goes to the Harris County Sheriff's Department and tells them all about Wanda's plan, saying essentially like, she's tried to hire me to do this. I don't do this. And I don't want to be thought of as a suspect if anything were to happen to Amber or Verna. So he's kind of like covering his own ass by going to the sheriff. At first, they didn't really believe him because they were like, uh, sure, buddy. Like, again, because he was kind of known as like the the town ruffian. And they were like, yeah, uh uh-huh. I'm sure she hired a hitman to get her daughter on the cheerleading team. Mm -hmm. But he's pretty persistent. And they're like, okay, fine. Like, wear a wire, record your phone calls, and we'll, we'll see what turns up. So... Over the next three weeks, they he talks to Wanda a couple of times, and in one of the calls that he records, he tells Wanda, uh, as part of the kind of like sheriff's plan, after they con- after he convinces them that she's serious about this, um, they say, okay, what you need to do is tell her that you have found someone and tell her that you need, you're negotiating the price with her. So he talks to Wanda on the phone. He says, I found someone to do it, and it's going to be $2,500 um, to kill Verna, and another 5000 to kill Amber because she's a child. <laughs> and uh, so he, he kind of tells her that he's got this fictitious killer who would kill both of them. And apparently Wanda was like, I don't have $7,500 to kill both of them. 
So what she decided was she told Terry, okay, hire the hitman, have him kill Am- or have him kill Verna, the mother, and then Amber will be so distraught that uh, her mother's death that she'll do really badly at tryouts, and Shauna will be assured a place on the squad. Mm. So police hear this recording and they're like, "Okie dokie, um, let's arrange a setup." So they have Terry arrange a meeting with Wanda the next day. And, and he tells her, let's meet at the Pasadena Motel. We'll get the money and we'll kind of seal the deal. So that morning, Wanda drops Shauna off at church and goes to meet Terry at the Pasadena Motel. In the car together, she hands him her diamond earrings as payment and says, quote, I couldn't pull the trigger myself, but I can sure do it this way. The next day, Wanda, this is January 30th, 91, Wanda was arrested and charged with solicitation of capital murder. And all of this happens while Shauna is in the garage of the house practicing gymnastics. Oh <laughs> so they go God. and arrest Wanda. The case gets nationwide attention, and the media refers to her as, quote, the pom-pom mom, which maybe, I don't know if you've heard that, but sometimes the media comes up with nicknames that I actually think are pretty good. <laughs> I like pom-pom mom. I like it too. <laughs> so it gets regarded as a pretty salacious case, and one that warranted journalistic attention but it seems to have a because it's so like salacious and unbelievable the journalism that it attracted were folks like sally jesse Raphael and phil donahue and all of those you know daytime talk show kind of gotcha journalism stuff Mm -hmm. so those producers from a bunch of those shows like show up in channel view trying to get the scoop trying to get people to participate in interviews wanda and shauna actually appear on the phil donahue show and it's getting so much attention in the town that like people who have yearbooks that show either Amber or Shauna's picture, like producers and journalists and reporters are willing to buy them from people. So like people are selling their yearbooks for like 50 bucks. And reminder at all of this time when all of this like media hubbub is happening, Shauna and Amber are still just students at high school together. And they're having to deal with all of this. Could you imagine the the tormenting? Well, so... Amber's face was on posters around school. I, I'm not sure about what, probably cheer, but the portraits around or the posters around school of Amber were defaced and people wrote like on her forehead on the posters, bullseye. Oh. Not cool. No. And at Alice Johnson Junior High School, kids even started kind of using the case to tease each other. Like, I'm going to sick Mrs. Holloway on you is one of the phrases that made it around school. So... For both Amber and Shauna, that sounds like absolute hell. Because high school, nightmare enough. Let alone being either the target of an assassination attempt or the child of a person who tried to hire a hitman. I couldn't even get through first period. No, yeah. (laughs) Nightmare. So at trial, Wanda pleads not guilty to the charges. And the prosecution's evidence in the trial was primarily Terry Harper's testimony and recordings of the conversation that Terry had had with Wanda. On one of the recordings played in court, Terry asks, like really bluntly, you want her dead? And Wanda replied, I don't care what you do with her. You can keep her in Cuba for 15 years. I want her gone. Yikes. And Terry stated that Wanda, during all of this, was really calm, like not in her emotions, like very, like, knew what she wanted to do. 
uh, says she wanted it done and said, like, I've got to get this handled. So the officers who arrested Wanda at court testified that when they arrested her, she showed absolutely no reaction at all. Uh, Not emotional, not crying, not saying she didn't do it, just like, okay, and they took her away. Um, Of course, as I said, there's the recording where um, when she hands Terry the diamond earrings in the car, she says that it's in exchange for, quote, never seeing Verna Heath in Channel View again. So the defense, so that's the prosecution's argument. The Mm -hmm. defense says that Wanda and her husband, ex-husband at this point, Tony Harper, again, they had divorced, they had a custody battle. So the defense tried to say that, hey, she doesn't like her ex-husband, Tony. The main evidence against her is her ex-brother-in-law. And so they say that all of this was a conspiracy between Terry and Tony Harper to frame Wanda. Okay? Okay. Yeah. September 3rd, the jury finds Wanda guilty of all charges, and she's sentenced to 15 years in prison for the attempted murder of Verna Heath. Thank God. 15 but, years? Oh, what the 15 hint? years. Mm-hmm. But... The conviction was overturned because one of the jurors, they find out later at the time, at the time that he was serving on the jury, he was currently on probation for a drug-related felony. And so technically he was ineligible to have served on the jury in the first place. So they had to declare a mistrial. Uh, it was Her conviction was overturned and a second trial ensued. I know. Wouldn't you think you would check that? That would be, if you were he shouldn't either even the prosecution. <laughs> Honestly. Why do you get a summons? Okay. Right. At retrial, Wanda decided to hire a new lawyer, and his name was Jack Zimmerman, and he wisely convinced Wanda to plead no contest in exchange for a plea agreement. So on September 9th of 1996, uh, Judge George Godwin sentenced Wanda to 10 years in prison and a fine of $10,000. She had also been slapped with a civil suit from the Heath family, which ended up being settled out of court, and she agreed to pay a total of $150,000 to the victims. So $70,000 was given to Verna and her husband, and $30,000 to Verna's children, and $50,000 to cover their legal expenses. How she afforded this, I don't know. I don't know if they've been paid. I was unable to verify that. So, sentenced to 10 years, how long do you think she served? (sighs) Based on how this is going, two. Six months. (laughs) She was released after six months with a court order to serve the remaining nine and a half years on probation and perform 1,000 hours of community service. And once she was released, she pretty much tried to hide from the public eye and just kind of like disappeared. I couldn't really find anything about her after that period of being released from prison. But story doesn't quite end there. Uh. Two two different movies were made about the story. The first one was an ABC movie in 1992 starring one of my favorite actresses of all time, Leslie Ann Warren, who played Miss Scarlet in Clue, uh. one of the best movies of all time. I love it. She played Wanda and the movie was called Willing to Kill, the Texas Cheerleader Story. Ooh. (laughs) A second movie was made uh, in 1993 by HBO, and it was called The Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. Whoever came up with that title needs to be fired. Come up with something shorter and snappier. Edit. (laughs) Edit. Um, That one starred Holly Hunter as Wanda, and 
I realized when I was reading this story, Holly Hunter is one of those actresses that my brain mixes up regularly with another actress. And so the whole time I was reading this, I was thinking of Helen Hunt from Madame Mew. Oh, 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 oh. I love both of those actresses, though. Yeah, for sure. And also, this whole story, as I was reading it, really reminded me of the episode Witch from the first season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where the cheerleader's mom wanted to be a cheerleader so badly, she possessed her daughter's body to get on the cheerleading team and, like, cursed a bunch of her competitors. Ooh. And I, I even did some searching to see if anybody had connected those two cases, because this all happened in, like, 93, and Buffy came out in 96. So... Could have easily been inspiration, but I wasn't able to confirm that. Mm. In 2013, Shauna gave an interview to Good Morning America. Um, at, at 2013, she was now 34 years old. She was a school teacher, and she was also a mother of two herself. She said that, and she had not given any, other than that Phil Donahue thing, she had not given really any interviews after kind of everything concluded um, so this was like 20 years later when, and a lot of the articles are like, breaks her silence kind of titles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she says that when it all happened, her family like just didn't talk about it. Like they pretended like nothing happened and n- never, ever spoke about it. And Shauna says that she doesn't have a very close relationship with, with her mother anymore, but it sounds like they both still live in the same town, which I think is Channel View, but I, I didn't find anything that says, like, they are still in Channel View. Mm-hmm, okay. But they're in the same town still, and, and it's Eesh. probably likely Channel View. And she says that when her mother was convicted, quote, um, that was probably one of the most difficult moments of my life. When I hugged her at that point before they cuffed her and took her away, I really thought, I'm not going to get to touch her again for another 14 years. I was lost, she was my world, and I was her world, and I was losing everything that was important to me. Because even though Wanda seems to like really have pushed Shauna to do cheerleading, they were very, very close. And so this was like world-crushing for her. Mm-hmm. At school, she said that school was a living hell. Um, she, for years afterwards, suffered from depression and anxiety attacks that would cause stabbing stomach pains and like full body rashes so it like really took a big toll on shauna in the interview she says that the whole ordeal really affected how she parents her sons saying that she really does everything she can to veer away from being a stage mom if either of her kids say like i don't want to do that activity she just says okay which my personal advice is how all parents should handle that situation. I agree. I, I feel like I wish my parents would have pushed me a little more to do some activities. Yeah. But I would have, you know, wanted them to support me if I chose to not pursue to those not. anymore. Because, exactly. you know, I'm a yes. child. Right. So she says that she asked her mom, Wanda, why she did it after all of this. And her mother just replied, quote, it was a mistake. I was wrong. If I could take it back, I would. And I'm sorry. So... Doesn't really get into the sort of like motivation psychology behind it, but by all accounts, Wanda recognizes this was not the right choice. Mm, Okay. While Wanda and Shauna's story kind of ends there, the theme of their story persists, which actually we kind of saw in the Law & Order episode, right? Because after the trial, they were like, oh, this tennis case, blah, 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 blah. So I just wanted to share really quickly another story as, as I wrap this up, which in March of 2021, A mother in Pennsylvania began harassing competitors of her daughter's cheerleading team who, you know, again, they were all competing for limited spots on the cheer team. 
Her name was Rafaela Stone, and she began making harassing phone calls to her daughter's competitors and told one of them, quote, you should kill yourself. That girl was 17 years old. Rafaela also created deep fake videos of photo videos and photos of the girls' faces superimposed on like nude girls' bodies and of them like drinking and vaping and began circulating those on the internet. God. So just to kind of say that really uh, unhealthy level of pushing your child to compete for things is still out there and still wildly alive, which shouldn't surprise us because, you know, shows like Dance Moms are still on there. But that is the story of Wanda Holloway, the pom-pom mom. Wow. I I remember hearing this story after I started to hear more details about the cheerleading parts. Uh-huh. I remembered hearing this before, but that was wild. Yes. I. It was funny because as I was reading it, I, I had known about the Rafaela Stone case because it was much more recent of her, you know, using deep fake technology to make, make really convincing, like, photos and videos of the girls that she then, like, e- she, like, emailed it out to, like, the school and families in the neighborhood. So horrifying for those girls as well, because deep fake, te- deep, deep fake technology is something that I really do not think should exist. I think it's horrifyingly dangerous oh, because yeah. you can create super convincing things like that. Um, and it's just really scary to me. So yeah, really wild case and uh, just sad all around. Yeah, that is. Well, good job. Thank you. What um, um what would you uh, rate the episode? Yeah. Um I would say it was it moved along faster than most Law and Order episodes do for me. So I I guess I would say that it was uh, a better constructed storyline, although they had a lot of offensive stuff mm. in the episode, but a few times they did have characters who were like, "Hey, that's not right." right. So I did like those moments. So I'm going to say C, just to see, you know, good storyline, good storytelling, but problematic stuff in the episode. Mm, okay. I gave it a B minus. Oh, I thought, close. Yeah, I thought most of the problematic stuff for me was like addressed. Yeah. I won't say like appropriately, but I would say it was addressed enough for me to, for the audience yeah. to know like, this is not how you should be. Right. Somebody <laughs> pointed it out as a problem. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I thought it was pretty entertaining, and I thought the acting yeah. of the sister was really good and compelling. Yeah. Even, like, yeah, a little emotional acting. at times. Like, when she was on the stand, I was, like, I was a little emotional. Plus, we had Emily. Yes, agreed. Plus, we had Emily Gilmore, so oh, that's a, a big plus. True, And we had George's mom, and we had a, like, <laughs> this is a big, big, uh... <laughs> this was the biggest star-studded cast we've had since, like, Samuel L. Jackson in episode two. It might have been. Although we did have William H. Macy a few episodes ago. Yeah, it's true. He's been in two, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about um, uh, what about yeah yeah how it dealt with stuff? Um, I guess for all the reasons that you said, like you know, they did point things out and stuff, and it it was it was not an entirely inaccurate kind of retelling of the pom pom mom story, know. you know, with some details changed. Obviously, the the murder. Uh, so I'll, I'll give it a B minus. Nice, nice. I think that might be my highest rating yet. I think it might be actually. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, I would say I might give it a B minus too. I think that's pretty spot on. I feel like it yeah. had enough details that related. It didn't change anything in any sort of offensive way. 
Right. And I think most of the issues it dealt with, it dealt with with some sort of care. Some, yes, I agree. Some level of intention. Some. I felt the intention. Right. <laughs> At least a little bit of intention was there. Better than Law & Order does in other episodes, for sure. Yeah. Maybe it's growth. Yeah. By the way, did you know that our podcast is free? We have new episodes every week for zero dollars, so you should absolutely subscribe, and it costs you absolutely nothing to write a review, and it's super, super helpful. So you've got a phone in your hands, probably. Go to that podcast app, go to that podcast website, and write a review for us right now. Agreed. And tell a friend while you're at it. Tell someone who you think might be interested, someone who likes podcasts, someone who you think might like us, because word of mouth is honestly huge. Yes. Our social media is Ripped Headlines on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our email is rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com. We really, really love hearing from our listeners. So please do feel free to send us any sort of thing in email, even if it's just like, hi. <laughs> Seriously. Honestly, <laughs> if you lo- if I got an email that just said hi in the subject line and like a smiley face in the body, I'd be happy. <laughs> oh my God. If we ever like get like really popular we're now gonna get endless emails that literally just say hi oh my god (laughs) and speaking of getting really popular don't forget to check out our website rippedheadlinespod.com there you'll find link to our really amazing patreon which we talked about at the top of the episode has some great perks and you get the joy of supporting one of your favorite podcasts Yes, and just to add on to that really quickly, a percentage of our Patreon gets donated to the Equal Justice Institute, so you're also doing good work in the world by supporting our Patreon. And that feels good, and it does good. Yeah, doing good feels good. So thank you so much for listening to Rip from the Headlines, where you get the facts and some fiction. We'll see you next week, and until then, stay out of the headlines. Bye. Bye.